There's so much to see and do in Colorado. There's so much to experience. So with that, I'm gonna to get to some trivia questions. So the first trivia question is, if you're dispersed camping, how, what's what's the rules with dispersed camping? I, just use that one first there.
And so it was like getting closer to science. Not there yet, but getting closer. The cool thing about this is this, they use this in the West, but in the East, in India, they used a really similar technique, which was giving people like rice to chew, and then they would get them to spit it out, and if the rice was dry, they were judged to be a liar. Again, no spit in the mouth. So, I mean, it's, it's a thing, and you know, you can try it for yourself. <laughs> What's really interesting is that the modern polygraph is basically based on this idea. It's the idea that people get nervous when they're lying. There are autonomic nervous system changes, which includes the increased sweating, which is called eccrine sweating. It's the type, it's not like the kind of sweating after a workout. It's really subtle sweating that happens, especially in your fingertips. It increases the electrical conductance of your skin, and so a polygraph is able to actually track that and see when you're feeling particularly nervous. Um, this is a picture of the prototype to the modern polygraph, and it was designed and invented by William Marston. Does anyone know who he is and why he's famous? Yes, shout it out. No, but okay. Okay, yeah, I mean, I really thought you guys were gonna get it. He's the one that invented Wonder Woman. William Marston was a Harvard psychologist, and so he invented uh, a way to measure blood pressure through a rope around the chest, and guess what Wonder Woman's truth lasso does? Fun facts. <laughs> okay, so that was uh, a bit of a romp through history. And the thing is, uh, we became interested in deception in modern times as well, especially after 9-11. The US government became extremely interested in finding out how you can tell when somebody's lying. What they didn't want is to institute a bunch of polygraphs at your uh, TSA checkpoint. They needed a better way to tell when somebody was lying just by looking at them. So they funded a bunch ton of research into this field trying to figure out how can we tell when people are lying just by looking at them. I was part of that group of researchers. There was, we were doing this in, in Buffalo, New York. There was researchers in Arizona, also all around the world. And we were trying to discover like, how can you, what are some of the signs that people are lying? But like, what, what can we discover scientifically about these signs? So this was many years of my life. Okay, I've recovered now, but when I was a grad student, all I did was watch video footage of people in interrogations and use an Excel sheet to annotate everything they did, every movement they made, whether they turned their left to the head to the left or the right, how much blinking was there, what they said, and in particular, what kinds of uh, facial movements were happening while they were doing this. Okay, so I feel pretty confident that I can tell you guys what the science tells us about human deception and how you can tell when people are lying. Are you ready? You can't! I know. I'm sorry. There is no Pinocchio's nose. <laughs> there is nothing that we do, generally, across all of us, that is an indicator that somebody's lying. And there's some pretty good reasons for this that I'm going to go into. But basically, uh, we're also really bad lie detectors, by the way. Like, you might think you might you are able to tell when somebody's lying to you, but you probably can't. Lots of meta-analyses have been done and our accuracy rates are about 54%. For those of you who are into statistics, that's a coin toss, right? So you're better off just tossing a coin. <laughs> Actually, it gets more depressing than this. Um, people whose job it is to tell the lies of others, like judges and law enforcement officials, they do no better than your average group of people, right? So they can't tell either. And you're like, what? Why? There are three very good reasons why we cannot tell when people are lying. Number one, it's called the truth bias. 
We trust most people most of the time, and we tell the truth to most people most of the time. So if lie detection is like a muscle, ours is super flabby, right? Like we do not exercise this. And thank goodness we don't, because that would be really annoying. Imagine you were having lunch with a friend and telling them about what you did the previous day, and they kept saying like, but did you really do that? You know, no. This is why our society functions. This is why it works. We trust each other. We got to do it. But it does mean our muscles are flabby. The second reason is that we're actually kind of smart. <laughs> so you might think that liars like look uh, away, for example, when they're lying to you. But the truth is, we know this belief about lying, and so we adjust our behavior to counteract it. Anyone here have kids? <laughs> your four-year-old might look away when they're lying to you, but your 12-year-old are going to lock eye contact right there and be like, yes, mom, that's what happened. I'm not lying to you. We're smart. We're smart and we're sophisticated. So even if all that research that we did discovered some kind of cues to deception, people would then take that into account when they're lying. So we just can't tell. And the third part, the third reason why we can't tell, and this is where it gets interesting, we are very susceptible to being deceived, and it has nothing to do with the fact that we're stupid. So it has to do with a very beautiful quality of human beings, but that gets us into trouble. We are natural storytellers. So we believe in manifest destiny, we like to make sense of things. We like to fill the gaps whenever we can. And you might think, that sounds so lovely. Why, what does that got to do with deception? Well, scammers and fraudsters thrive on this. Okay? They know that in each one of your heads is a story. You're telling yourself about who you should be with romantically, what you should be doing professionally, and all kinds of stories that we tell ourselves, what kind of relationship you have with your family. And so scammers and fraudsters like to tap into the story that you're telling yourself. So imagine you're a woman in your late 20s in London. You want to meet the man of your dreams and you're just swiping, 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 swiping. I don't know, maybe you've been fed a diet of Disney movies. There's a story in your mind about who you're going to meet and what that person will be like and how he might be the man of your dreams. And then you come across a picture on Tinder and he's got that kind of slut Euro trash sort of like black skivvy look going. <laughs> he's got the smart glasses. Oh my God, is that a private jet that he's sitting in? Who's this by the way? It's the Tinder swindler. The Tinder swindler knows the kind of story you are telling yourself about who you should end up with. And so when you start messaging the Tinder swindler, they know exactly the right thing to say because they know what you want to hear. This is how we get into trouble. And then, I mean, all of us love watching these shows. And I know you're thinking this because I know I was thinking this. I'm like, oh my God, there are so many red flags. Like, how could this woman be so stupid? How could she keep sending money to this person, even though they're clearly a swindler? And the thing is, even if we might believe this would never happen to me, it can happen to you. And it has all to do with whatever story you're telling yourself about your life and what you deserve. So, this is my homework to you. I'm a professor, so I have to give homework. So this weekend, go on like a freaking binge fest of all the scammer, fraudster, grifter, swindler, <laughs> streaming things you can now find. Apparently, we're obsessed with this. And try and figure out for yourself, what is the story that people were telling themselves that made them liable to be deceived? And remember, it has nothing to do with stupidity. In Hulu's The Dropout, which is based on former CEO of Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, she had people like Jim Mattis on her corporate advisory board. He was former Secretary of State during the Trump administration, four-star general, one of the most brilliant military strategists of our time, and he got sucked in because he wanted to believe her story. So 
if you do want to become better at detecting deception, you got to flip your frame. It's not about... <laughs> right. you got to flip your frame. It's not about becoming a better lie detector. It's about becoming a truth seeker. What can you do to make people be honest with you? And this is how master interrogators teach us everything we need to know. Uh, Joe Navarro, who is a former CIA master interrogator, he writes tons of books. Next time you're at the airport, you can probably buy one. It's a quick read. But he talks about how when he goes into interrogation, he's never thinking like, ooh, how am I going to tell when this person's lying to me? His whole mindset is, how can I get the truth from this person? What do I need to do to get them to tell me everything? And I mean, he will, he will like do rapport with anybody, right? He'll figure out how to create rapport with anyone. Because he knows that the reason why we lie to other people is because we think that what we have to say is not going to be acceptable to them. And so he'll create rapport with a pedophile because he wants to know, like, what did you do? And he wants that person to feel comfortable telling him, right? So this is your secret weapon. Become a truth seeker, not a lie detector. Become an interviewer, not an interrogator. Think about how you can get all the information that you need. And of course, number one, let go of your own story. Let go of what you want to believe about it. Let go of any biases that you have about whether that person is guilty or not. Just let go of all that crap and interview the person. Here's a quote from a different master interrogator. Everybody wants to talk. My job is to become the person that they want to talk to. So you go. That is what I want to leave you with today. What can you do today to help somebody be honest with you? Unless you're planning to swindle the Tinder swindler, in which case, go for it. I'm ready for questions. I know you have some. How do we detect truth? You fussick for it and keep asking questions. And if you're not getting the answers, keep asking different questions. Yes. How many people are true con people that can really trick people all the way through? Well, I mean, I don't know if I can comment on that, but like psychopaths, for example, they're about 5% of the general population, higher if you look among CEOs, and they love lying. So the thing is, like, they get such a kick out of it, they're really good at it. And so whenever they're like lying to you, um, no, but they don't feel any stress when they're lying. They think it's actually a ton of fun, and so they're able to do it with no negative effects at all. How has, how has studying liars affected your relationships with people? It's complicated. Uh, I went from being the most suspicious person in the world to just letting go of all that shit. Um, and now I just seek out the truth. Oh. Are all liars sociopaths? Not at all. All of us are liars. So the data shows that we tell about one lie every day. It, it's not like a bad thing. Like, oh, your bum looks great in those jeans. I love your haircut. Yes, of course, I finished that project on time. Um, and no, I did not take that cookie. Okay, we tell lies like that all the time. So it's extremely common. Has anyone heard of neurolinguistic programming, by the way? I feel like I should talk about that for just one second. Uh, that's the idea that liars look up and to the left when they're talking. I just want to make sure this is my last thing that I want to say. That is not a thing. Neurolinguistic programming um, is all about how your eye movements might represent your mental states. And unfortunately, there is no scientific evidence that this is, this is what happens. So don't think you can use that one either. Okay. Guys, you are awesome. That was so much fun. Thank you. Amazing, awesome, so much fun. All the yeses.
Okay, I have. I only have two hands, and I have a lot of things to to talk with you about right now. So give me a second. Um, all right. So your next installment of Nerd Night Trivia Game Night Edition. The very first question. Let's remember to please raise your hands if you know the answers. It's going to be amazing. Raise the hands. Nice hands. So, question number one. The properties in Monopoly are based on what U.S. city? This gentleman all the way in the back. Nope. Yes. <laughs> he did scream it out, but I mean, he gave the answer to everyone else, so I had to give it to him because he was rude. But, but he got it. He got it. He got it right. So, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Uh, question number two. In 2013, what sweet, colorful game had its cards replaced with a spinner? Yes, Candyland. Good job. Awesome. Candyland. And if you didn't play that for you as a kid, I feel bad for you. Go buy it at Walmart, please. Question number three and the last trivia question of the night. What type of nouns are not acceptable words in Scrabble? Yes, proper nouns. Correct. Awesome. So, proper nouns. All right. So now we're going to do something because I've been looking at our Instagram for Best of the West Wing Fest. Um, we are going to sing happy birthday because it is our one year birthday. So of course we have to sing happy birthday for Nerd Night. And the people that have been liking us on Instagram for Best of the West Wing Fest are going to be called out to be able to get a delicious cupcake. <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, but Instagram makes it a lot easier for me to do. It's really hard for me to see on Facebook. So, um, let's go ahead and start with the singing first. So, one, two, three. Happy birthday to you. I cannot hear you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear nerd Number one that has liked us, and I'm going to call out to be able to get a cupcake is oh goodness, I cannot see simply Allison Nicole. Woo! There you go, grab a cupcake over there, over there, over there. We have oh goodness, they're gonna hate us for that. <laughs> We have Grace Quinn 67. Do we have a Grace Quinn 67 in the room? Anyone? I don't see a Grace Quinn 67. All right, gun. We have a Mayhem PB. Mayhem PB. No one. No one. Okay. Cogswell, Rebecca. I know that one. We have a Katie P.I.J. Katie P.I.J. No one. I don't see this. There's a lot of women that are liking our page and a lot of guys. This is, this is very interesting data I'm collecting right now. Um, we've got a Anna Gem 611. Anna Gem 611. Awesome. We've got a BP hat. BP hat. I don't see a BP hat. We have a Lalasha. I remember that name. Yes. And we have a 
Where do we have this? Jess Mayers? Jess Mayers? No? We've got a Geo. I know who that is. We've got a Geo. And a mostly lemon water. Who's mostly lemon water? I see a mostly lemon water over there in the corner. All right. Valdez 42. Valdez 42. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for your support. Now we are going to leave you for another break, 10, 15 minutes. Refill your drinks, grab some more food, and we will be back with our last speaker, Mr. Gillis, the Education Director of the Money Museum. Thank you so much. It's time to uh, retake our seats and get ready for our last presentation of the day. A reminder again, first annual Best of the West Wing Fest. Nerd Night has a discount code, Nerd Night COS, and that's Night N-I-T-E. All right. I'm ready when you guys are. I love that the, the nerds like to socialize, but we still have one more presenter today. <laughs> all right, so can you all put your hands together for the education director from the American Numismatic Association, AKA the Money Museum, Mr. Rod Gillis. Let's put our hands together. Can, uh, can everyone hear me? Are we good? Okay. Um, so my name is Rod Gillis, and I'm the education director at the Money Museum. And the Money Museum is located right up the street at the corner of Cash Laputer and uh, Cascade. A lot of people say that they've lived here in Colorado Springs their whole lives, but they've never been to the Money Museum. And if you're one of those people, I encourage you to go. It's it's not a place where dusty old coins sit on dusty old shelves. It's very interactive, and uh, we have a lot of fun there. And as a matter of fact, I would say that you guys are very uh, fortunate because you get to see things that most people in the country don't get to see. Uh, a couple examples. We have uh, two 1913 Liberty Head nickels. Now, what's so special about that? What's special about that is there are only five of them. There are only five that are ever made, and we have two of the five, so you can see them. Um, they're worth several millions of dollars apiece. Uh, we also have uh, two 1804 dollars. 
There were 15 total $1,804 made, and we have two of them. So unless you live here in Colorado Springs or visit the museum, the only other place that you'd get to see uh, those types of coins are probably at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. So it's a good thing for you to come. Um, I have a uh, colleague in the back. He's wearing a Minnesota T-shirt, and uh, his name is Andy, and Andy has brochures for the Money Museum, and he also has some uh, papers for uh, kids. If you have any children or brothers or sisters who are really good at school, you have an opportunity for them to earn coins uh, for free of charge, just for getting good grades in school. So uh, you'll want to see Andy about getting those uh, brochures or the, uh, the hard copies for that, okay? Um, a lot of people ask me, as the education director, what do I do at the Money Museum? And the truth is that I, uh, I put together a lot of projects, I do a lot of research, but, uh, and I enjoy all those things. But one of the things that I do that I don't enjoy so much is that I'm one of the people, when the public calls and wants to know, they have a coin that they found in their sock drawer, and how many tens of thousands of dollars is their coin worth? And I'm usually the person who uh, lets, tells them the truth and lets them know that it isn't worth very much. Um, if, if you knew me personally, I would hope that you would like me. There are uh, several people on staff, though, who have a nickname for me. They call me the Dream Crusher. And if you talk to my wife, she would tell you that um, I'm paid to make people's lives miserable. And she says that she speaks from experience, and I never, under, I never understood what that means, but that's what she says. Um, one, one, one day, a couple years ago, I had a woman who called me and she said, I want to take all my retirement money out. She says, because I don't think dollars are going to be worth anything, and I want you to tell me what coin that I should buy with all my retirement money. And so I went home that night, and I was telling my wife, I said, you know, this woman called, and she wanted to know what coin to buy. And, of course, I couldn't give her an answer. She says, that's amazing. I said, yeah, it's amazing that somebody would call with that kind of question. And my wife said, no, it's amazing that somebody would want to talk to you for financial advice. And that's... So uh, I, I want to talk with you today about money as a reflection of culture. You know... Money is very popular, of course. We use it all the time. But we really don't think about it other than using it. Think, for example, why is George Washington on the quarter? Why is Abraham Lincoln on our cent? You know, you ever ask those questions? Who is it that's on the dime? You know, most people have no idea who is on our dime. And it's kind of sad because we use dimes all the time. Actually, the person on the dime is uh, Franklin Roosevelt, and there's a really good reason why he's on the dime, and that's because when he was a young man, he suffered from polio, and when he became president, he uh, helped found the March of Dimes, and so that's why Franklin Roosevelt appears on our dime. Now, that's just a quick story, and if we look at our money, you can tell, if we look at our money, you can tell that... Um, Things don't appear on our money just for out of happenstance. That they appear there for reasons. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So, using coins uh, and paper money is a great way to teach economics. It's a great way to teach history, current events, politics, and sociology. It's a great way to teach those things. Here's something I know it's hard to see, but... There's a great big stone behind those two youngsters, and that's called a Yap stone. It's from the island of Yap. It's huge. Some of these stones can be up to 12 feet in diameter, and that's an example of money that people around the world have used. Here's another example of a large piece of money. This is called Swedish plate money, and it's made out of copper, and they can weigh about 40 to 50 pounds. Imagine carrying one of those in your pocket and going to the mall with Swedish plate money. It wouldn't be easy to do. 
Here's an example of probably the first piece of money that was ever used, and they're called cowrie shells. And cowrie shells, we consider an example of the first coin. Um, they were hard to counterfeit, and people used them for money. If you look in the Bible, you can see that there are several references to money in the Bible. Um, in uh, Mark, uh, verses uh, 12, 41 through 44, chapters 41 through 44, they talk about uh, a coin called a mite. And it says that then he sat down, uh, that he sat down next to the offering box and watched the crowd putting coins into it. Many rich people were throwing in large amounts. And a poor widow came and put the two small copper coins worth less than a penny. He called his disciples and said to them, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the offering box than all others. For they gave all of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in what he had to live on, what she had to live on, everything she had. And what's neat about that is this an example of a leptin of Judea, what we call today as a widow's mite. So it's possible for you to own a coin that was around during the time period of Jesus, and uh, it doesn't cost that much money. This coin is over 2,000 years old, and you can own this coin. You can buy one for about 60 or $70. It's not outrageous. And then you could have this coin to have. Um, this coin is called the Shekel of Tyre. And the Shekel of Tyre, we believe, is the coin that was used when Judas was paid his 30 pieces of silver. We believe that the 30 pieces of silver were actually this coin. Now, this coin is a little bit more expensive because it's not quite as common. But again, it's still possible to own coins several thousands of years old that tell an important historical story. Alright, if we look at modern day coins, we can tell that modern day coins can talk to us about culture. Here we see, for example, uh, how music is so important on the Tennessee State Quarter, and how the Arizona Quarter features the Grand Canyon, a wonderful place to visit. Our coins show us about history. On the left-hand side, we see North Carolina and the Wright brothers, where they flew from Kitty Hawk. That, by the way, is a copy of the most copied photograph in the world. Um, there are more copies of that photograph than any other historical event ever. And then on the right-hand side, we can see the founding of Jamestown in Virginia. Art. We can see the uh, South Dakota. We can see the, the presidents line up. And in New Jersey, uh, we can see the um, Washington crossing the Delaware. So we have Mount Rushmore, and we have Washington crossing the Delaware. All these things can be found on our coins. The New York coin has the Statue of Liberty, which is kind of odd because actually the Statue of Liberty is in New Jersey. It's not in New York. And Illinois, we have its tip of the hat to their favorite son, who is Abraham Lincoln. Our money can talk about social issues. We can see on the left-hand side, uh, in, in Braille, it spells out Helen Keller. And this was the very first coin that the United States issued that had Braille on it. And then on the right-hand side, we have Iowa and it, the importance of education in Iowa. We have um, Vermont. We have them tapping a maple tree and how important that is to the Vermont economy. And on the right-hand side, we see all the agricultural products that are found in Wisconsin. Coins are also a great way to teach geography. On the left-hand side, we have California and Yosemite Falls, Yosemite Valley. And on the right-hand side, we have the Old Man of the Mountain. Can everyone see the facial profile of the Old Man of the Mountain? By the way, that's 
uh, that's no longer there. The old Man of Mountain fell apart several years ago. It actually fell apart the same year the coin was minted. It was kind of like they thought that they were tempting fates by doing that. The United States has a long history of depicting famous people and Lady Liberty on their money. That's really as high as I can go, ma'am. So here we have both Lady Liberty that appears on a coin, and we have the uh, Abraham Lincoln who appears on paper money. Now we know Abraham Lincoln as appearing on a $5 note, but you can see, for example, here's Abraham Lincoln on, his, on a $500 note. Famous leaders have appeared on coins since the days of the Romans. So the idea that presidents appear on our coins is not really something new. It happened way back during the time of the Romans. Here's an ancient leader who appeared on a Roman coin. Does anybody know who that is? Anybody at all? A lot of people say Julius Caesar or maybe Brutus. Actually, the person who appears on this coin is it's Cleopatra. Okay? And as you can see, Cleopatra doesn't look anything like Elizabeth Taylor. Wow, she must have had a great personality. But we know that the Romans depicted their rulers exactly as they appeared. As a matter of fact, that's how we can tell what the Roman rulers look like. So one of the ways that we know how, what Cleopatra actually looked like is by studying a coin that has Cleopatra on it. On the left-hand side, um, we have a commemorative coin. This is a coin that is legal tender, but it was a special coin that was made for coin collectors. And it's very obvious who on, on the front of that, that's George Washington. We can all tell who that is. But who is that person behind him? Anyone has to guess who that might be? Benjamin Franklin? The person actually behind him is Calvin Coolidge. And Calvin Coolidge, you might say, who is he? Well, Calvin Coolidge was president of the United States when this coin was made back in 1926. So he was very much alive. He wasn't a dead president when this coin was minted. Okay. Although it's fair to say that it was hard to tell sometimes if Calvin was alive or not. There's a wonderful story about... There's a, there's a presidential state dinner, and there's this woman sitting next to Calvin. And all night, she's trying to get him to talk. And Calvin, his nickname was Silent Cal. He just wouldn't pay any attention to her at all. Finally, at the end of the dinner, she said, Mr. President, she said, I have a confession to make. She says, I have a friend that I bet $50 that I could get you to say three words. Won't you help me out? And the president looked at her and he said, you lose. <laughs> On the right-hand side, this is a uh, commemorative half dollar that celebrates the lost island of Roanoke. And um, you can see that the woman, her name is Eleanor Dare, and the baby that she's holding is Virginia Dare. And Virginia Dare was supposedly the very first baby born in North America of European descent. Over on the left-hand side, you'll see uh, this is called the Isabella Quarter, which is a United States coin. It was a quarter worth 25 cents. And this was the very first time a, an actual woman appeared on a United States coin. And what's neat about that is the very first time an actual woman appears on a United States coin, the woman was not born in the United States. She was born in Spain. And so there she is. On the right-hand side, we have a silver commemorative dollar that was issued to uh, commemorate Dolly Madison. All right, figures in America. You know, 
we've so we talked about some very famous people that appears on coins that appear on coins. Does anybody know who this person is? This person is actually P.T. Barnum. P.T. Barnum actually appeared on a United States coin. Now this coin was a commemorative half dollar that was celebrating the 100th anniversary of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And P.T. Barnum was the favorite son of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And uh, I'm sure that when he saw that people were paying $3 for this commemorative half dollar, he was probably telling everyone that a sucker was born every minute. Uh, this coin is a, a called the Booker T. Washington half dollar, and this is the first time an African American appears on a half dollar. Uh, not only that, but Booker T. Washington actually appeared on two coins. He's um, the, the only American. The only, no, he's one of two two African Americans who appeared on two coins. Um, Booker T. Washington appeared on this coin, and he also appeared on this coin. This is the Washington Carver half dollar. And what's interesting about the Washington Carver half dollar is that the money that was collected from the sale of this coin was supposed to educate African Americans on the evil of communism. And that's what this coin, that's what this coin actually was supposed to do. Uh, if you look at, I know it's hard, but if you look at the map of the United States, Delaware and Maryland do not appear. It's, they just couldn't do it. They couldn't recreate it. Uh, this coin uh, celebrates the Little Rock Nine uh, youngsters as they're walking off to uh, desegregation in high school. This is a piece of continental currency. And... Um, the interesting thing about this coin, uh, this piece of paper money, is it was printed February 17, 1776, and it was hand signed, and you can see the number at the top, the serial number. They did that each one individually. There was no machine that did that, so you can imagine that there was someone who was responsible for doing that. The most interesting thing about this note is that if you look on the left, if you look right over here. You'll see it says, mind your business. And that didn't mean like, you know, you're being nosy, you need to mind your business. What that meant was, if you wanted to be successful in life, you needed to mind your business. And Ben Franklin said that in Poor Richard's Almanac. I think my favorite quote from Ben Franklin is, fish and guests smell in three days. And that's true if you think about it. This is an interesting piece of paper money. First of all, it's, it's uh, for 10 cents. And this was created during the Civil War. But what's most interesting about it is who is on this piece of paper money. We all know that it's George Washington, okay? Um, the thing is that when George was alive, he never, never wanted to appear on paper money or money of any kind. And he didn't want to appear on money because he didn't want to think, he didn't want people to think that he was a king just like his counterpart, George III over in England, who appeared on all of their money, okay? Um, but you look and you'll notice that he's not smiling, is he? And there's two reasons he's not smiling. Number one is because he didn't want to appear on any money, and there he is. But maybe most importantly, he was wearing dentures, and they weren't comfortable at all. There's an old wives' tale that he wore wooden teeth, and that's not true. George Washington's teeth were not made out of wood. They were actually made out of human and hippopotamus teeth. And here they are. This is an example of George Washington's dentures. Now what was interesting is, if you look at them, that they, there are springs on each side. And dentists at this time were no more than glorified barbers. 
And so they fixed it so that when he opened his mouth, the springs would disengage and they would uh, go open as he opened his mouth. Imagine all the times that those springs pinched his cheek or his tongue. They were very uncomfortable and he hated to wear them. And people often ask, why did George Washington lose all his teeth? Did he have bad dental hygiene? Didn't he like to brush his teeth? And the answer to that is that it wasn't because he didn't brush his teeth. He really did. The problem is that George had one nasty habit, and that was that he liked to crack walnuts inside of his mouth. So that by the time he became president, he literally had just one tooth left in his head. Here's an example of a coin that was made in 1943. Um, okay. Um, this was uh, during the World War II. And this is the coin that most people call us about. It's a silver-looking coin. It's called a steel cent. And if you have a steel cent, uh, don't call us up and ask if you can quit your job because they made over a billion of them and they're worth about five cents. Here's an example of the coins that were made during the, the Depression. This is a buffalo nickel, and this is a hobo nickel that was carved out of the buffalo nickel. Here's the example of an old $100 note and a new $100 note. Uh, this is an example of paper money that was issued in Germany in the 1920s after the First World War was over. They were worth very little at all. Here's a gentleman who's using them as uh, wallpaper instead of spending them because it was cheaper to use them as wallpaper. So, um, as my friend Andy has, he has the papers over there for Coins for A's. If you'd like to uh, be able to hand them over to uh, one of your children or little brother or sister, that'll be great. We also have a book at the museum called Past Tense, where you can read about stories like the ones that I told you. This is an example of what it looks like. And that's it. Oh, questions. Yeah, sure, questions. What questions do you have for me? And please don't ask, do we hand out uh, free uh, samples? Because what we do is we go back to the museum and we laugh at you. So don't, don't do that. Yes, sir. Can you talk about Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution and what pertinence that has to your talk here? Do you know what I'm talking about? So are you talking about what gives the government the right to be able to coin and coin money? Is that what you're talking about? Or what are you talking about? It prohibits the government from making anything money except for gold or silver. That's Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution. Well, so, first of all, <clears throat> we still, the government still makes money out of gold and silver, but we are no longer on the gold standard, haven't been for a very long time. Our money is called fiat money, and what that means is our money is actually representative of, uh, of value. Here's the story. So if the government, if the government, um, here's, what, here's why our money has value. If tomorrow the government said, you know those green notes that you have, those green pieces of paper, we're not going to accept them as payment for taxes anymore, then they would be worthless. And so let's say the government said, from now on we're only going to accept shoelaces. The value of shoelaces would skyrocket and our paper money would be worthless, and so would our coins. Yes, sir. So along those same lines, why is it with these ancient coins that are like 2,000 years old that you could buy them for like $80? How could that even be possible? So there are three things that um, determine the value of coins. Number one is the number of coins minted, how scarce they are. Number two is um, their, uh, what, how popular they are, the demand for them, okay? And number three is the condition of the coin. So those are the three things that determine the value of a coin. 
Um, in this case, they made a lot of, of widow mites, a lot of them. We're finding them in holes all the time. So in this case, because there's just so many of them, that's the reason you're able to get them at a very reasonable price. One last question, if anybody has one. Would you mind talking about those uh, late-night commercials advertising special minted coin? So, um, my wife doesn't let me watch those anymore. <laughs> she says that um, I'm yelling so much that I scare the dogs. So, here's the thing. Here's my advice. Um, don't buy any coins from t television. It's, it's not a good thing to do. Um, they're selling the coins at very pre premium prices, and serious collectors very rarely collect the coins that they offer on television. So it's not a good play. Um, I wouldn't do that. And also, you know, William Devane, he wants you to buy as much gold as possible. It, my, my point is that if there's rioting in the streets and our money is worthless, um, cans of food would be much more valuable to you than buying gold or silver. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but what I am saying to you is these people are salespeople and they do not necessarily have your best interest at heart. Thank you so much, Mr. Gillis from the Money Museum. We appreciate you and all the amazing education we just got from all these different coins. How Cleopatra on a coin? Wow, that was pretty cool. Okay. She was boning emperors, as Flip so nicely put. So, the time that everyone has been waiting for, I am going to call out who is the winner, and hopefully that person is still here. Ta -ta 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 -ta. Okay. I'm going in. Maria loves to fly. Is there a Maria loves to fly in the audience? <laughs> Apparently, she is not here anymore. Maria has flown. Okay. So, toot, toot, toot. Adventures with Brit and Blaze. Is there an Adventures with Brit and Blaze in the audience? Anyone? No, I do not see that. Okie dokie. Kelsey Maxine. So you have just won two tickets to the Best of the West Wing Fest, Saturday, August 6th at FH Beer Works. So if you, if you did not win your tickets today, please head over to bestofthewestwingfest.com and you can currently purchase tickets there. Um, Ticket prices do go up at the end of the month, so make sure you buy your tickets now. Nerd Night COS, you get 10% off of your tickets for Best of the West Wing Fest. Thank you so much for coming out, supporting us here tonight, everyone. Um, Nerd Night, the next one here at Kawadi will be Wednesday, June 15th. As always, the third Wednesday of the month. Beer, nerds, trivia, fun, all the nice things. Keep on the lookout on our Facebook, on our Instagram, on nerdnightcos.com. If you guys want any of our balloons today, you can fight for them. I will take video and it'll be fun. So that is a nice thing we can do. Um, again, if you have any presenting ideas, come to us. Check us out. Um, Grab us by the shoulder or send us an email, nerdnightcos at gmail.com. Our next event, community building event, is uh, <laughs> our next community building event is Memoirs COS, Memoirs, True Stories Unfil Unfiltered, this Monday at Kinship Lending. It's going to be amazing. We hope to see you there. Grab them.
Grab them, it's yours. Come on down. Yes. Again, Best of the West Wing Fest, and we are done. Thank you so much, everyone. Again, give yourselves a hand. Thank you. There are still some cupcakes over there if anyone wants them. Go ahead.